701 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are broadcasting from the Kintech studio. Jason is going to tell you more about Kintech right now. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Remember when it went from 1,500 to 2,500? How could I forget? We have to. Uh, yeah, that was a big day. Uh, we have to update it again, probably. Uh, find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So I, I'm going to take the listeners behind the scenes a little bit here, how the sausage is made on the Halford & Bruff show. Your computer didn't, it was rebooting or restarting at the beginning of the show? Yeah, I was adding some software. So um, he's like, we're going to have to push the Kintech read a little bit because I don't have it in front of me. And I was like, have you not committed it to memory yet? And then we both tried to do it from memory. Yeah, and we did it, but I was just nervous. And it wasn't great. Yeah. I'm not good at remembering things, like, um, <laughs> song lyrics either. Like oh. if, if I'm going karaokeing, I need the words. Right. And I've always marveled at actors that are able to memorize lines, like to be able to do Shakespeare. To me, that like I, I would need like I would need cue cards. You'd be the guy that'd be yelling line all <laughs> yeah, the time. Respect sure. Andy in his old career. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I guess for we could sure. ask you. Andy's the professional here. How difficult was it to memorize lines for you? It was difficult. It took a while. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of practice, going back and forth, a lot of reads. Are, are we waiting on Nick Shook or something? He is, is on he, the line. He's, he's on the line. Just be like, what am I doing here? Yeah, that's pretty much the is way I feel. <laughs> <laughs> to the phone lines we go. NFL.com's Nick Shook here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Nick. I'm sorry. Oh, why would you apologize? That was very entertaining. That's what I thought. But Andy wasn't having it. <laughs> Andy's all business. In Yeah, that's how you often describe Andy is all business. Uh, when I asked him how difficult was it, his reply was, in case you missed it, Difficult, which was great insight from the actor's studio over there. Okay, let's uh, let's talk a little NFL here, Nick. Uh, the Colts don't trade Jonathan Taylor. That means he opens the year on the pup list. That means he's going to miss the first four games of the season. And then after that, I guess he remains an Indianapolis Colt. What happens next here? Uh, I mean, that's a great question because for a long time I thought it was well, you know, uh, eventually they're going to have to try to move him. I was a bit surprised when they, uh, you know, gave him permission to seek a trade, but they didn't give him much of a window before the start of the regular season. So how much of it was really performative? How much of it was uh, serious? I will never know. Um, and, and I don't feel like we're near a resolution with this. And maybe it changes. The, the, the couple of things that I thought were a little strange or a little interesting with the fact that they supposedly had such a big, you know, gap to bridge here is the fact that he, you know, showed up at joint practices in street clothes for a day. Um, you know, somebody who's been staying away from the team or rehabbing and that type of thing has, has come back to the team, has gone away again, has come back again. Uh, I thought it was interesting that he, you know, was on the field in street clothes. So maybe they're not as far away as, as we thought, but it sure seems like it right now, you know, more importantly for the Colts, it leaves them in a position where you just wonder, uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, how, how tough is the season going to be? Uh, with the situation they have at running back right now. Because, you know, a lot of this, you know, starting the season on Pup and everything, it, it sure sounded like Taylor was a lot closer to returning to the field than, than most people thought before this entire dispute started. So yeah, um, I, I hate to say it, but I don't see much of a resolution in sight. Yeah, I, I have a number of questions uh, on this. You mentioned the performative nature of that, allowing him to go seek a trade. 
I wonder how much of that was just the cults. Like, um, if you don't understand the situation, maybe we can help you. Go find a team that's willing to give up a lot to get you and then pay you and we'll trade you. Pretty much knowing that that would be pretty hard to find. Did you hear of anything or read of anything that the Colts got any legitimate offers for Jonathan Taylor? I think that, well, I, I was told that they were aiming for a number or a compensation package higher than what the 49ers got for Christian McCaffrey, which I don't think is realistic. Because exactly, you know, and the, what ties all this together really to me is, is a tweet I saw from an insider. Do we still call them tweets? I don't know what, Zeets? I don't know. I don't um, know. I call them tweets. But, <laughs> Zeets. <laughs> from an insider that, uh, that, that said that, that included the detail that multiple teams were interested and uh, including in giving him a market rate contract. Well, the market rate is half the problem right now. <laughs> That's the entire summer. Exactly. Running backs don't make any money. So what's the point here? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't really move the needle for me. So, yeah, I thought that, um, you know, maybe it was a bit of a dose of reality that, that they weren't, you know, that they had to kind of show them that, hey, look, people don't value you as much as you value yourself. Maybe. We don't know. Um, I didn't hear anything, you know, astronomical. I think that all the offseason activity, whether it was the Falcons drafting B. John Robinson as high as they did, or all these free agent running backs that some are still languishing out there in, in, on the market, uh, kind of you know set the table for what we would expect to be an underwhelming, you know, uh, exploration of a trade with Jonathan Taylor. How much does this um, hinder Anthony Richardson and his ability to perform at quarterback? A little bit. Um, I think what matters more than anything to that is the offensive line, because if the offensive line can't protect him and can't run block, then, you know, he's going to have a tough job to do anyway. Not saying that they can't, um, but that probably ends up being more essential to his, you know, his potential than, than the running back. You can always hand it to somebody else. Whether they actually, you know, produce out of it is another question. Um, So it, it hurts him and hinders him a little bit, but I think it's more about him adjusting the speed of the game and, and completing passes, you know, at the mid-level range, which, you know, running back that Eagles game, the preseason game that he had, there were some nice spots where he really ripped some bullets in the receiver's arms and there were other throws where he was either under duress or, you know, he missed the guy. Um, everything comes out fast to him and it does look effortless, but the accuracy isn't quite there. So I think that the running back thing does kind of hurt him because it doesn't insulate him. Uh, you know, you can't lean on giving the ball to Taylor 25, 30 times a game, but I don't think they were going to run that offense anyway with Richardson because the only way he gets better is by getting meaningful reps and, right. you know, hand, snapping, handing it off, snapping, handing it off <laughs> are not meaningful reps uh, to a young guy's development. Um, so, Nick, as you probably know, the Mike and I are Seahawks fans. A lot of our listeners are Seahawks fans. So um, in that division, you've got the San Francisco 49ers who are going to be a very interesting team this season, but also the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, you know at the beginning of the season how they put out those win totals, the sports books, and you go over or under? I want you to come up with a combined win total for the Rams and the Cardinals. Combined win total over or under for two teams, the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, <laughs> this is funny. You know, we, we're Seahawks fans up here. When we have the Niners in here, but we also have the Rams and the Cardinals. I like how, how you put that. Yeah. And those are the two teams that we're not proud of. Um, combined win total. The over-under is six and a half. 
for both teams? Yes, because I I would be hard pressed to see the Cardinals win more than a game or two this year. I mean, wow. that's, that's just where I see them right now. They're they're in a bad spot, um, and that I think awful. the Rams. That is awesome, are, but awful. They're gonna to, they're gonna to, yeah, yeah. Awful. they're going to have to carry the bulk of that load. The Rams are uh, with Matthew Stafford, who apparently you know can't gel with the young teammates that he has around him, and they, they everyone's phone of, is out. They lack of depth. And, yeah, everyone's phone is out. Get in your playbooks, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I think the Rams win like five of those games. Just so we're clear, I was like, oh, we're going to have to re-explain this to Nick because he didn't understand the assignment. But you totally understood the assignment. You just have a remarkably low total. But fair enough because I agree with you on Arizona. Like, Arizona might be <sighs> – I don't want to say historically bad, but like decades long. But like we might not see a team this bad to start the season in the NFL for the past 20 or 30 years. Like, can you explain to our listeners exactly what they're doing at quarterback? Because I have no idea. Well, I'm glad you set the table for me because that's exactly where I was going to start. Yes. Uh, this is a team that had one veteran presence on its roster at quarterback in place of Kyler Murray, who is probably going to miss perhaps half of the season. Uh, and they cut that guy this week in, in favor of a guy they acquired in a trade last week and a rookie from uh, Houston. And that is basically where they're at right now. Uh, the expectations could not be lower with this offense. Uh, it's been an, an exodus of talent. Um, you know, you still have a few leftover guys, but DeAndre Hopkins is gone. And, and you know, uh, a number of those, those playmakers are gone. I feel bad for guys like Zach Ertz. We're like they got trade there, and they're like, "All right, playoff run." And no, mm. that's not what happened. That's not what's going to happen this year. So he'll probably get a lot of targets because, well, uh, a young quarterback often tends to lean on a tight end, uh, but it's going to be an ugly situation for them there. Are they tanking for who? Are, who are we tanking for? Caleb Williams is is that the guy? Yeah, it's got to be Caleb Williams at this point from USC. Uh, he's naturally talented. Won the Heisman last year. Looked pretty darn good against uh, San Diego State uh, or San Jose State, excuse me, uh, in their season opener in week zero. And uh, he, by all accounts, he's going to be the favorite to be the number one pick unless, you know, a Drake May or another quarterback uh, usurps him, which at this point I don't think he is. So, uh, and, and they're going to be in a position to, you know, add some high quality players pretty quickly, but they're going to have to go through a rough year to get there. Where are they with regards to Murray? Like, you got to remember, it was July 21st of last year. So we're 13 months uh, removed from him signing a gargantuan extension with the Cardinals. Like, they're not tanking. That was a bad call, wasn't it? They're not tanking for a quarterback, are they? Well, a gargantuan extension with an ability to get out of it. That's true. That's true. Pretty early. Yeah. The, the guaranteed money is not nearly as high. Because that was coming off the heels of the Deshaun Watson contract, too, you got to remember. So the context of that was, hey, I want to get paid, too. I think I'm an important part of the future. But the thing is, is the team that – the people who selected him, the people who jettisoned Josh Rosen, who they spent a first-round pick on and a pretty high first-round pick on the year prior, for Kyler Murray, uh, that, that's Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kine. They're no longer there. Right. That is now General Manager Monty Offenfort and Head Coach Jonathan Gannon. This is a new regime – they they are not tied to Kyler Murray in any way, shape, or form. Yes, he's a fantastic player, but maybe he doesn't fit what they're looking for. I mean, Colt McCoy, who has been the backup there for a long time, did not fit what they were looking for either, as evidenced by what they've done this preseason. Uh, neither did Isaiah Simmons, another first-round pick that Kine spent 
on a player in the past. They sent him elsewhere for a seventh round pick. So they're not afraid to move on from the past regime's decisions. And it's just that Murray is going to be the one that's the highest of profiles. But if you get a, if you're in line to draft a guy like Caleb Williams, you can justify it all you want right there because uh, he's he's also another strong talent who I think would probably fit better than Kyler Murray, at least from a durability standpoint. So Nick, can you explain again uh, how they get out of that Kyler Murray contract? It's off the top of my head without the numbers in front of me. Yes, uh, I believe <laughs> there the dead money is what you want to look for when you look at contracts because okay. the dead money basically tells you how much you're responsible for and what you're going to be paying when that guy is not on your team. And that's what can really sink your salary cap. It's not the existing contracts that you, that, you know, that end up being a big issue. It's um, because you can always renegotiate existing contracts. Look at Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, his cap hit went from, I think it was supposed to be a million last year to like 55 this year. The Browns have already restructured that one. So um, you can kind of dig into the numbers, but when somebody's not on your team, you're tied to that money. And that's what it becomes financially prohibitive that you would move on from somebody. So what you do is you try to find a trade partner that works. So if you, according to over the cap, which is what I'm looking at right now, you look at the dead money versus the cap savings and you look at their cap number. The first year of that extension is this year. Their cap savings would be very much in the negative this year. So they're going to have to write it out. But if they wanted to move on next year, they could actually save $5.6 million in cap. Uh, with a pre-June 1st trade, a post-June 1st trade, it saved $38 million of that $51 million, $51.8 million cap number that Kyler Murray has in the books for 2024. They'd carry only $13 million in dead money. That is a very feasible number. It's right. not uncommon to move on from guys. Other teams have actually taken bigger hits for guys that they've had to move on from in the past. So what you look for, like I said, is the dead money. How much do you carry? If you move on from someone and if it's within a range that's not astronomical, then you can still make that move. It's just about how the deal is structured. And that all comes back to the guaranteed money that was included in that deal and how it's structured. And uh, they kind of gave themselves an out. Who was, who was the biggest? Like, who, who, who had the most dead cap space? Like, what was the most punitive decision to move on from a guy? Man, off the top of my head. Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson Wentz. The, the, Wentz, the Wentz. the Wentz money was pretty bad. I do remember that because yeah. that's part of why the Eagles had to turn to Jalen Hurts on a rookie deal and uh, and and do that fluid rebuild, which obviously paid off for them really quickly. Um, that was like a big uh, deterrent to moving on from him. And then they realized, like, we just have to do this. We have to move on. I mean, Watson's contract, the dead money's pretty bad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure off the top of my head that it's pretty bad. Um, even and, and the thing is, is it's restructuring. And this is what Mickey Loomis has done for years in New Orleans. When you restructure deals, you can add void years to the end. But the void years give you dead money that you have to carry when that guy's not even on the team. So it's kind of a, a balancing act. That's what they were doing at Drew Brees for years, which is why they had to roll with James Winston for a couple of years, because they couldn't afford to pay another quarterback because they had to carry all that extra Brees money. So teams do end up paying for it when they, even when they restructure but when and that's that's the first thing I looked up when they signed Tyler because you saw the number and you're like, well, weren't they just so you know uh, uncertain about him and his dedication to the game and everything? And you looked at as soon as those numbers became public, it was like, oh, they gave themselves a built-in out because yeah, pretty quickly. We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You mentioned the New Orleans Saints there, Nick. Um, I did not realize that Jimmy Graham signing for the Saints was more than a retirement kind of deal. Like, I remember seeing this come across 
my screen, and then I remember looking at highlights. I'm like, is this 2006? What's going yeah, on here? You're like, have I been asleep for 15 years? What's so going on here? We knew Jimmy Graham pretty well as Seahawks fans, and then he did not play football anywhere last year. This is a remarkable story because yesterday he made, for the time anyway, their 53-man roster, and I know you wrote about this. How big of a shock was this that he didn't just – make the team, participate in the preseason, have a very bizarre preseason with the medical issue. He's made the team as well. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, when that first came across the wire, I, I kind of slapped myself on the wrist and was like, how did you forget about Jimmy Graham? And I was like, wait, he's just played a long time. He hasn't been notable or significant in a long time. Even I remember when he was he made the move to Seattle and it was a big deal, and that just never produced anything. And he, and he made a cameo in Green Bay, but – he got to come to the point where you're like, he's just who he is. He's not this big time playmaker that he once was in New Orleans. So the fact that he was giving it another go was such a shocker. Um, it's a kind of a cool story though. If you think about it, like this is a guy who you know started his NFL career in 2010 as a former basketball player from Miami. And suddenly he's, you know, all right, I'm, I'm back. I'm going to play again. And he's not the Jimmy Graham of 2010, 2011. Uh, the offense, I mean, the, the clips that you get from him, you know, he missed a week two preseason game and he ended up playing week three and kind of justified his place in the roster with his performance. You know, you throw the ball to him. He's still tall. He's still going to go up and try and make a play. It's just not as spectacular as it used to be. But, you know, this is a, a team that, you know, I think he has fit really well with. You know, Juwan Johnson, uh, the tight end, had a nice year last year, kind of a breakout year last year, and that was – with Andy Dalton and James Winston quarterback, and now you go with Derek Carr quarterback, who, by the way, used to pair with Darren Waller pretty well in, mm -hmm. in Vegas and, and in Oakland in past years. Um, you know, I'm not – Graham is not that guy, but he's a guy who can be a red zone target. He's a guy who can be someone that you lean on for veteran experience. And you're giving him another shot to play the game that he loves when his career pretty much everybody thought it was over. So back in the place where he started, where he probably left too soon way back in the day, um, I mean, he, he posted up a defender for a touchdown catch in that preseason game. And if Jameis actually put the ball where it was supposed to be, it would have been more of a highlight than it even was. Um, but the 35 catch, the 35 yard touchdown field or whatever it was, I don't know, 24, 25, 35, whatever it was, uh, you know, he ran down there and kind of got up and went after the ball and made a nice play. And it was like, okay, he still does have something. I can understand why he has a roster spot. This is not a charity spot. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and catch, you know, 100 passes and 15 touchdowns and be a fantasy juggernaut like people thought he was a decade ago, but it's still kind of fun to see. Hey, Nick, what are your expectations for the Buffalo Bills this season? Um, division contender, should be an AFC contender, but I haven't felt very good about what I've seen from them in the preseason so far. I know it's the preseason, but they seem a little disjointed, um, a little bit slow off the start. Uh, they got dominated by the Steelers in, in their Week 2 preseason game. Uh, kind of outclassed, really. I, I was extremely impressed by the Steelers. I've been impressed by them this entire preseason. Whereas the Bills, I'm still wondering, hey, you know. Because the thing is, is with this, with this team, a lot of what they had before is still there. It's just that they haven't gotten over the hump. But they haven't necessarily gotten any better either. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Been, like, uh, did they peak last end. year? Well, they added another tight end who I think is going to be very productive for them in Dalton Kincaid from Utah. Uh, and you compare him with Dawson Knox. But the offensive line is not great still, and that was their big issue last year. And Pittsburgh exposed them in that preseason game. I went back and looked at their starting line, and I was like, okay, these are all the guys that are supposed to be starting for them this year. This is supposed to be their new and improved group, and they got dominated. So um, that's what I am really concerned about. 
the the usual suspects are going to be there. You know, you're going to have the Josh Allens and and the defensive studs. You know, the Jordan Poyers on the back end, Davis White, and all that. But I don't know if they got any better, and their division got better, so it's going to be tough. But at the same time, this is a team that's won ten or more games in each of the last three years, so they're going to be around. I just don't know if they're going to be perhaps the elite AFC contender that we expect them to be. Nick, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do it. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy this brief. Well, it won't be time off for you, but time off from football before the regular season starts. And then we'll be doing this again, hopefully with some regularity during the NFL season. Absolutely. And hopefully at that point, uh, we won't have to ask the question to update or not to update my computer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Thanks, appreciate Nick. it. All right, guys, thanks. Uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That is the exact quote, by the way, from Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To update or not update. Yeah, and I always forget that line when I, I have to perform it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Bills at New York Jets, the first Monday night football. is going to be pretty awesome. Sweet. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that, there's a, I mean, Too they, bad we have to wait like two weeks for it. September right. 11th. Um, I Yeah, I, I know there's a reason for this, and it's like kind of cooked in that if we're going to extend – to a 17-game regular season, we want a shorter preseason and more time off before the end of the preseason, the right. start of the regular season. But it does feel odd that the preseason is wrapped and it's cut down day to day, and you still got to wait 12 days until you get to see mm-hmm. the Bills and the Jets play. It's a lot of downtime. Um, okay, Sean from New West wrote in. Um, I'll, I'd like to address this. We got a couple minutes before the break. You say, "Good morning, guys. Good morning, Sean." My beer league team was in a heated debate before and after our game last night. We were debating what defines a quote-unquote hockey song. The song Right Back Where We Started From by Maxine Nightingale. I think we all know the song. I'm not going to sing it. It came on. Do we, and, do we, do we all know the song? Can, you you, sing can it. someone sing it? Can you do it? Sorry, I wasn't listening. What song? Maxine Nightingale's uh, Right Back Where We Started From. I can't remember. Oh, my God, Sorry. you people. Alfred, you're the only one. Save us. Yeah, come on. Do it. Coming right back where we started from. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah, yeah. You singing louder. I can't. I'm not a good singer. Yeah. Into the mic. Coming right back where we're starting from. Very raspy. There's a raspy rendition that I'm doing here. It's a little bit more smoky vocals. Okay. You just repeated the title in whisper form. Yeah, but he got it right away. It's because it was very melodic. Anyway. He said the song like, came on and they like were all Al Bundy when he was trying to remember a song. <laughs> Him. Him. Uh, he wants to know, is this not a definitive hockey song? Because it's a traveling road song for the Charleston Chiefs. In my opinion, definitely a hockey song. Wondering what you guys in the dog think. Sean, I'm going to be the bearer of bad old guy news here. The relevance of Slapshot <laughs> is becoming less and less and less with every generation. Every passing year... There's another beer league player that enters the fold yeah. that is not doesn't have the film committed to memory, I, and I know and it doesn't. And, it, and there's no they don't relate to it. They don't relate, they don't to, relate it. to any of it. Minor league hockey like that. Yeah, and I, it's it's unfortunate because our generation. There's going to be like for example when Simpsons clips and Simpsons drops stop becoming culturally relevant. We're finished. We're toast. Yeah, yeah, we're already we are, there. I think we're already pretty there. close. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can feel it. I can feel it creeping mm-hmm. up in the background. But uh, Slapshot's even older. And, like, I know that there are still a lot of talking heads that love the movie. Like, I – it had – if this is, like, sacrilegious or whatever, whatever. It's the it most had, famous hockey movie. It, it, has, n- it, it had, had no, no impact. impact on me. No, and, and it didn't on me either. 
I, I think it's more oh, – oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble here. Um, I think it has more impact on American hockey oh, fans. way bigger. Maybe. I, 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 coming I was, from somebody with American family, this is literally – like all my family yeah. are American. And when I talk to them about hockey, and none of them know the sport at all, this is all they think of when they think of hockey is slap shot. They assume that's exactly what it is, and they're not even being ironic. That's as, what, they, as, that's as, what they think. As a proud Canadian, I was always a young blood man, right? Yes, like you are a young blood. That man, that 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 movie, as bad as it was, when you rewatch it, you're like, <laughs> it's not great. Damn. See, for it's me, it's bad. Mighty Ducks. But okay. be Mighty Ducks. yeah, because you're 12. <laughs> hey, it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come but on, here for Sean and New West. I bet there are maybe more guys coming into the beer leagues that will relate to the Mighty Ducks more than Slapshot. Heck yeah. It's, it's a timeline thing. Slapshot came out in 1977. That was two years before I was born. I still haven't seen it. Slapshot? Excuse me? You've I never seen Slapshot? I've seen parts of it. Wow. I've seen clips from it, but I have not seen it. Hamilton is like, never come back right now. <laughs> I mean, to be fair. <laughs> like, get out. <laughs> to be it's fair, actually it is actually playing it is in funny. the main movie theater in Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. It, it is can. very funny. Like, Slapshot does have some laugh out loud moments. Yeah, yeah, like, it's sure. really, really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, do you have do you have the song ready? Because my okay. ASMR version is someone alluded to it in the text message in basket. Probably didn't do the song justice. Someone texted me and said, that sounded like when I was 10 and my mom made me try out for the school play because she was the director. Yeah, you're being forced <laughs> to sing against your will. I didn't want to sing it, so I tried my best. You had to save us. Uh, anyway, here's Maxine Nightingale's right back where we started from. As much as we can play without getting in trouble. On the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, your home for Vancouver summer sports talk. Subscribe to the podcast now. Seven thirty-four on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Doug Smith from the Toronto Star, NBA writer, basketball writer, FIBA writer is going to join us in just a second here. I just want to say that part of the reason that I am enjoying the twenty twenty-three FIBA World Cup so much is that every time there's a new development. It's almost like one of those old choose your own adventure novels. Like there's you never know what comes next in this tournament. It's such a bizarre format. It's like one of those very elaborate board games that you need to read the rules three times and have someone explain it to you and it still doesn't make sense. You have to monitor 18 different things. So for Canada, the big goal would be to win the tournament, but it's also an Olympic qualification tournament. So you have to look at all of the teams from the Americas, North, South, and Central, because two of the seven in this tournament will go to the Olympics. So you have to look, and you have to say, well, it looks like Puerto Rico is through. That's not great, but Mexico didn't make it through, and that's good. Brazil's going to make it through, and Canada's going to play against them, so they have a chance to knock out a team from the Americas. And you go on and on and on. Also, I just want to point this out. Because there's a group stage and then another group stage, and all the groups are lettered, they go so far down the alphabet. They are into Group P right now. I've never seen that at a tournament before. Group P is uh, as part of the uh, 17th to 32nd place classification round because it's very important we know who finishes 23rd 
and um, uh, 31st in, in the tournament. Uh, group P is comprised of France, <laughs> Ivory Coast, Iran, and Lebanon. So that was another thing I learned, is that France doesn't just go, go home hanging its collective head in right? shame. Yeah, they're like, well, guys... Let's go out and get 17th. We could still win Group P. <laughs> to the phone lines we go. Doug Smith joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Doug. How are you? Well, I'm as confused as you guys are about this whole process, but I think I know it a little bit what's going to go on. It is a very convoluted tournament, right? Like, I know we're kind of playing it up <laughs> for effect, but this is it, it's weird. I get it. I, I kind of get it, but it's also weird. Just tell me, confirm what I'm th- saying here. This is a strange tournament. It is, and it's, it's very FIBA. It's very FIBA-esque. Um, they like to, you know, set up the uh, uh, Olympic burst way early. They're, and here's, here's one that people, I don't think, realize that if Canada isn't first or second of the seven Americas teams, there's still a chance to go to Paris because there's a last-ditch qualification tournament next summer, <laughs> like there was in Victoria in 21. So it's out there. The, the, the possibility will exist even if Canada doesn't get one of the two spots. I don't even want to touch that because it makes my head hurt thinking about it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very convoluted, but it's very feedback. And they, they screwed up when they made the tournament 32 teams. There should be 24. 32 is like eight too many. Because mm-hmm. there are guys, me you, me, you two, and two of our friends could finish 32nd, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've also noticed that because of the geographical allotment and, quite frankly, you know, the expansion of the field to this length. You get, I mean, there have been some lopsided scores in this tournament, oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, many of them coming from the Canadian men's national team, who have really put a show on through these first three games. They swept the group, they blew out France, they blew out Lebanon, and then they blew out Latvia. Uh, I'll get to that game in a sec, but I know you wrote about this, and this has been the big takeaway for me. Three words, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, real simple question. How good has he been this tournament? He's been wonderful. And you'd have to put him on a list with Luka Doncic, probably Anthony Edwards as the, as the three best players in the tournament. And that, that's – I've been around international basketball since like the 92 Tournament of Americas, and never has Canada had a guy in that conversation except Steve Nash at the Olympics in 2000. And that, that's how good Shea is playing in this tournament. Well, you know, the guy is the first-team All-NBA guy, so it's not a huge surprise, but he's, like, he's dominating in, in each of the three games and is leading a very, very good team. So what does Canada – let's focus on the Olympics here. What does Canada have to do to qualify for the Olympics? Is this upcoming game against Brazil a big deal? I just checked the the uh, the sports books, and Canada is a 19-point favorite over Brazil yeah. in their next game. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's a big one because it will knock Brazil out of the chance to go to quarterfinals. Canada's at least going to have to get to the quarterfinals and probably win one there, win that game to guarantee a spot. Dominican Republic is 3-0 and as well, like Canada is. They are likely to move on to the quarterfinals. I can't see it not happening. But they may have to play the States there. And, you know, you're, you're conceding one of the three American spots for the United States. No question. Um but Canada would have to have to beat Brazil, obviously. I don't think Puerto Rico factors into it. Their draw is really tough. I think Dominicans are the other team they got to worry about. And if the Dominicans win a quarterfinal, then Canada's probably got to have to win a semifinal. When that's going to be, you're talking crazy hard back at that point. Is there anything that could trip up the Americans? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're, it's a good team, no no question about it. It's probably the best team in the tournament, but. 
in a one-game thing, if they got to play Lithuania, for instance, and Jonas Valanciunas goes berserk, they could very well lose. If they have to play Slovenia and Luka goes crazy, they could very well lose in the quarterfinals or the semis. It, they're not a lock once you get to that knockout stage. I think they finished seventh or ninth uh, four years ago in, in Tokyo. Uh, you know, they won the Olympics. They won the World Cup of five, six years ago. But they're certainly not a lock at all. They're, they're very good. But in a one-game situation, and you guys have seen it in FIBA basketball, one guy gets stupid hot, and he carries a team to win a 40-minute game. Well, I, I mean, I thought that game might have been the Lavia game, not going to lie, after the first quarter, because it felt like everything they were putting up, especially sure. from three, was growing da- going down. Uh, we got some classic FIBA refereeing. I still have no idea what a foul is or isn't in FIBA basketball. It's bizarre. And I know that the Latvians were just as frustrated as the Canadians. But then Canada really stamped its authority on the game. And I kind of want to focus on what the coach did here, Jordy Fernandez. He lit into the guys in the first quarter. Then in the postgame presser, he's name-checking Alanis Morissette and trying to talk about spoons and knives and Nikhil Walker-Alexander was the knife. I kind of got what he was talking about. But you tweeted out, I knew people would love this guy, Jordy Fernandez, when they first hired him. Now that you've seen him coach for uh, uh, quite a few games now, what have you thought about the job Fernandez has done? I think it's a, a tremendous job figuring out who should play when, at what point, in what game. And it, that goes from the, the two games in Germany, the three games in Spain, and these three in the tournament. You just got a feel for what works in the game. And I like what I like about him a lot, and I've liked him since I've known him in Sacramento, he's very calm. He doesn't get ruffled during the game. Like, yeah, he lit into the players in a timeout yesterday, as, as, as he should have, as any coach would. But once the game started playing, you didn't see a lot of histrionics on the sideline. Not a lot of yelling, gesticulating, arms up in the air, stomping around. There's a sense of calm around him, and I think that translates to the players. I think they get that from him. I think he's done a great job. And I, I said when they hired him here, and I got to know him a little bit, I'm shocked he's not an NBA head coach now. But I'm sure he will be a year from now. Uh, Jason mentioned the next round. and you know, the, so What was the line, sorry? 19? 19, yeah. The so Brazil- they are favored. Slightly, which is, I mean, and this is, you know, the Brazil team is obviously not maybe some of the star studded teams of old. I know they've got a lot of veteran guys that used to play in the NBA Anderson Verjao and Leandro Barbosa, who are now into their late 30s. Um, but the, the obvious uh, interesting one is going to be Spain, another team which has kind of seen its golden generation pass, and now it's not the Spain of old. Uh, what can we expect from those two in the group stage? Because we've already seen Lithuania, but we haven't seen Brazil and Spain yet. Yeah, Brazil's going to shoot a lot of threes, probably not make very many. They're going to try to play fast. They play more a more North American style than a FIBA style, let's say, let's put it that way. they got a really good young point guard, uh, number two, Santos who played here in Toronto in the uh, Global Jam this summer. He's a 19-year-old kid. He's really good, but he's really little. And I think that's what Canada will be able to exploit that a little bit. Our old friend Bruno Caboclo is like leading the team in scoring. I yeah. think he's, he's, he's played great in the FIBA game. So they're okay, but they're, they don't have the depth that Canada has, and they don't think they have the overall talent 1 through 12. I, I, it, it's a game, so it's, you don't know what's going to happen, but if Canada loses, it will be a shocking upset to me. You've covered international basketball, as you mentioned, for a long time. I was trying to explain to our listeners yesterday uh, that, yeah, it's the same sport, but it's so fundamentally different than NBA basketball, which is why it looks so different on television. If you had to pick one thing, what is the biggest difference between FIBA basketball and NBA basketball? How physical they let defenders be. Yeah, okay. It's a rough, tough game. These guys are busting through screens. Dribble handoffs are like car crashes. Um, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of physicality that just doesn't exist in the NBA, and that's why uh, players and fans all get up in arms like, oh my god, that's a foul. Well, it's a foul in Sacramento against Golden State, but it's not a foul in Slovenia against Lithuania. And I think people need to, as people in Canada become more familiar with the FIBA game, and they're not right now, they'll understand. It's just, like you said, it's the same game, but it's not the same game. Mm-hmm. So is the is the strategy to play through it and hope that the foul calls will start to come or you have to adjust that every time, especially on drives that you have to assume contact and really hyper-focus on trying to make the shot and not necessarily draw a foul. Yeah. You, you got to play through hits everywhere on the floor and you got to play through them with composure because frankly, if you get a technical foul in feed, it counts as a personal foul and you only get five personal fouls before you foul out. You can't be getting on referees all the time. That. It's, it's more counterproductive in the FIBA game than even in the NBA. So you have to have a lot of, lot of composure. You've got to know there's going to be some crazy calls for and against you, but you've got to have the composure and the maturity to play through it. And I think that's what Canada's shown. I didn't know how guys like Dylan Brooks or Lou Dort when he played in that first game or Shea or R.J. Barrett, how they would handle that kind of need to, for that composure and that sort of calmness in, under duress. They've done a great job that way. They haven't – I don't think they've got a technical foul. I don't think anybody's fouled out of a game. And they, they've played within the bounds of the, of the rules uh, as lax as they are. Well, that was the other question I wanted to ask you. is when, when dealing with the NBA guys, on the defensive side of things, does Fernandez have to almost encourage them to, you know, go and grab that guy on the perimeter or, you know, put your arm into his chest out there because you can do it? Like, imagine guys that are trained over an 82-game NBA regular season and not do those things now have to be told, like, yes, go be more physical on the perimeter, especially guys like Dort and Brooks. Yeah, the first day, the first day of training camp here in Toronto on like August 1st, Jordy said to us, look, we know FIBA. You've got to know the tricks. And I, I asked him, can you teach the tricks? He goes, well, you can teach them, but you can also tell them just to let them go and let them figure out during the game what they can get away with in any particular game. Not unlike the NBA, but it's far more liberal in the FIBA. And I, guys like Brooks told us, I love FIBA because I can go, he can beat people up. And he could not do that in the NBA, but he's done it really, really well. He's going to have to, I'm sure he'll guard Bruno a lot tomorrow, or on Friday rather. And I think he's going to, and he kind of relishes that uh, freedom to be what he can't be in the NBA. Uh, it is Canada and Brazil in two days' time to kick off Group L action at the 2023 <laughs> FIBA World Cup. I'm not even joking. Should, they are in they Group start, L. They should start using Roman numerals. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> at this point, it's going to be like the Super Bowl. Like I don't even know exactly. what that one is. Anyway, Doug, thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. No problem, guys. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks, coming Doug. on. Thanks. That's Doug Smith from the Toronto Star. Here group, on the Group L is my favorite group. It's, yeah, it's yeah. the best group. Historically, anyone that goes on to win Group L often does well. <laughs> in Company the L, but they smell. <laughs> Good ball, um, Greg. Yes, we oh, all know buddy. the chance. <laughs> God. See? Eventually, <laughs> people will this, not one understand. One day this won't work. One day this won't work. Um, is, so, basketball, I think, can we all agree that basketball is now like officially Canada's number two sport. Um, like even behind per- hammer. Right. Where do, okay. How do we do the ranking? Okay. We're still going to do hockey. Number one. Oh, all right. So hockey, hockey, number one. Are we sure about that? Are we yeah. sure about that? No, no, no. In terms of, in, no, in terms of, okay, let me clarify. Um, yeah. Cause I don't know statement. where you're going with okay. this. Okay. In terms of being the best at the world in the world. Yeah. Canada is the best in the world at hockey. Fair. We still are. Fair. 
We haven't had a best on best in the men's for a while, but we're still the best in hockey. Okay. Right. So where do we go after that? Hammer. Men's and women's. I, I, I'm not even joking. No, no, no. But you have to do you know, that. That is classified under track and field athletics, right? And I don't think we're right. Fair. Okay, you can't take the the little events or the single of not little single events out of athletics. Pounds that hammer, right? Not little. So athletics. I get I don't, what you're saying. Okay, fine, right? Fine. Fine. Um, we thought we might be a tennis nation for a while. Do you know there are no Canadians left in the U.S. Open? We went. <laughs> we US went. Open is also three days old, and there are no Canadians left. We went zero for four. Yeah, it was terrible. Who? So um, Felix went out. Yep. Milos went out. Yep. Was Shapovalov hurt? He didn't play, he didn't right? Play. And, neither, and, and neither Layla. did Bianca. Layla went out, and Rebecca Marino went out, all in the first round of the. And like, where, like Layla was in the final of this. In her, her match was tough. She lost in a in a real tough one. Yep. It was still the first round. It was the first. She round. lost to a right? the twenty second ranked player yep. in the world. So Canadian they're... tennis is in a in a big time lull, at least compared to what we were thinking a couple of years ago when. Bianca actually, you know, like won a Grand Slam, and everyone's talking about Canadian tennis. So Canadian tennis is down. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was I was kind of joking to myself, like even curling is down for Canada. I've kind of been off the curling beat. Are we not dominant anymore? Oh, we didn't win the gold. Were the you Olympics. ever on the curling beat? We didn't. Yeah, twenty ten. Okay, big yeah. into the, not well, on the beat, but I was just 20, like... 2014, We swept. Uh, Hockey and curling, which yep. I demand, right? Yeah. You know what happened is once the curlers started getting yoked and like we're doing workouts, yeah, they took it seriously. Yeah, that you that is the anti curling ethos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, that's to Switzerland's advantage. Every curling guy <laughs> should look like a retired math teacher. So I think basketball is number two. Basketball is number two. Like baseball at the as Laddie wakes up. Like the hey. World Baseball Classic, where, where where are we ranked in the world in terms of baseball? I'll have to look it up, but I want to say eighth, ninth, eighth or ninth region, yeah, right? in that area. Like it's not golf. No, I think like basketball. What What's nice about this FIBA World Cup is that thirteenth, thirteenth, according to a national ranking, that. we're finally seeing the potential that Canada has had for years now. Do you know how ridiculous it is that Canada, the men's team, has not been to the Olympics since 2000? Yes, it is ridiculous. I mean, part of it is the ridiculous process, but it is ridiculous with the amount of NBA talent Mm -hmm. that they have at their disposal. The fact that they lost Jamal Murray, an NBA champion who led the Denver Nuggets to this year's title, left the team, and they won each group game by like an average of 30 points. Like that's remarkable. We were just talking about Brooke Henderson the other day. Like yes. that's she's up there in terms of women's golf, right? Like she's top. We're not a golf country yet. No, I wouldn't we say we're know. a golf country, but that's no. that's a pretty considerable person to have at the top of a sport. Hockey is one. She's not at the top of the sport. Pretty close. She's a, she's, she's near. She's, she's, she's in, in the, the conversation. Mix. She's in the mix though. Hockey's number one. Basketball is number two. If you want to weigh in on this, by the way, we might be missing something super said, obvious. Golf is up. Gol- okay, we're basically looking for the number three spot. We've we've conceded that number one is hockey, and number two is basketball. And it's everyone right? texting I mean, in across. We're talking about golf and women's golf. You got the Americans first, the Koreans second, and like everyone else. And okay, lacrosse, well, there's not enough competition for us to even fair. And the men's men's golf, yeah. n- no Canadian still has won a major since Mike Weir. Where do we All rank the- in pickleball? Uh, I don't know actually. That's a that's a that's a good call. Google that. 
There was some like what was yeah I should have researched this, but it was paywalled. The uh, the situation with pickleball in Canada. Uh, yeah, there was a big uh, brouhaha over the uh, yeah. There was a there was an article in the Globe and Mail about it. Mm-hmm. There was a big brouhaha over um, the federations, like who is running it. I think I oh, think they wanted okay. to make some changes to the bylaws. Sure. At the federal level, because they wanted to become um, a na- like a recognized national sport with like a governing body and everything like that but kind be- of thing? but but once you become an, a recognized na- like national sports organization i think they call them an nso okay then you get federal funding so they i think they i don't know it was kind of a i was like am i reading the story about pickleball um so it's the floating yeah but like some of the like there's all sorts of politics involved with like the provincial associations yeah it's such a fast-growing sport the, the top-ranked players in the ppa are pretty much all american no canadians yeah, so no, we don't have pickleball. No, we don't. No. So basketball, I think, is officially number two in terms of what we're good at. Yes. I mean, curling you might want to put in there. Okay, Benny from The Mox just texted in. Go Mox. Thank you. Uh, he says, I don't care about shooty hoops at all. The Grizzlies killed it for me as a youngster. Benny, this is the time that I fall back on the Canada at the FIFA World Cup. Where it's like, don't worry about the sport. Don't worry about the vehicle. Don't worry about the platform. You can root for Canada. That's why I love international competitions that Canada's in. Super easy to be patriotic. Super yeah. easy to fall back and like cheer for your country, root them on. The fact that I love basketball just makes it all the more great. But hey, this is a big deal. This is a huge tournament. 32 teams are at this thing. It might not seem like a huge tournament here because it's in... The Philippines and Indonesia and Japan and the time zones are, and it's very far removed from it. And and we don't value FIBA basketball in Canada and the United States like pretty much the rest of the world does. But this is a huge tournament, massive, and it's going to set the stage. And again, fingers crossed, but maybe Canada and the U.S. on a collision course here, mm-hmm. and then that just fires it up God, for, the, for the Olympics. Awesome. It would be the. It would be the appetizer to the entree, and the entree would be the Olympics. Is that how the bracket works out? I believe it's going to be if they the two were to meet, it would be in the final. <laughs> really? Are you sure though? Well, no. <laughs> this whole tournament is so confusing. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I I expect we're going to get to the semifinals, and the losers will be like, "But wait, there's still a chance to get to the final." The the, the FIBA basketball tournament is like shoots and ladders. Yeah, it makes no sense, and shoots and ladders kind of does. Yeah, yeah, it's like, a pretty simple premise. Canada will will go all the way to the final, but oh, there's a ladder, and yeah. we're playing for 19th for some reason. <laughs> it's what? like it's like you lose, but you don't lose out; you just fall further behind. <laughs> anyway, uh, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver is going to join us uh, at eight o'clock, and then at eight thirty, we will do what we learned, and we need more. So get them in. Dunbar Lumber text line is six fifty six fifty. Tell us what you learned over the last twenty four hours in sports. That's your chance to be on the radio. Text them in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You are listening to the Halford and Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. I don't mean to, you know, accuse you guys of being ill-informed. My brother came all the way from Scottsdale, Arizona to be here tonight. And you're not going to sing for him? Sing. Sing it again. Turbo. Coming right back where we started from.